a lot of things I think we'd take differently. I think we'd be more urgent about soul I think we'd be more faithful to the house of God and the spiritual disciplines. But I also think we'd be filled with great expectations. Is that my dad in my stream? You know, there's times when we see things go all around us. We see buildings being built or roads being reworked. Or maybe you go to Disney World and there's a ride and it looks like it's just almost finished. You see the house, you see the road, whatever it is, you're looking at it and you realize it's about to happen. And tomorrow might be the day they take the guardrail down. You know, Tomorrow might be the day the for sale sign comes out of the yard because... It's almost done. If we truly knew how close we are to the end of the world, how excited would we be? You know, we go through stuff all the time in this life, and we're going to keep on going through stuff until Jesus comes. But if right in the middle of that trial and test and trouble and problem, if right in the middle of it you realize that it was tomorrow, it was next week, it was next month, it was next year that Jesus was going to come. Oh, all those things really wouldn't matter that much anymore. I could endure the hurt for a little while longer, and I could be broke for a few more days. I could put up with a bad situation for just a few weeks because the Lord's coming. And when the Lord comes, for those that are looking for him, He's going to make everything right. He's going to make everything good. I don't know what the Lord has prepared for His people on the other side of glory, but it doesn't matter to me. I just want to make it there. I just want to go home to be with our Lord. His coming is so very soon. It's amazing when you really stop to think about it. There's so many things that Scripture that you read, so many prophecies are there. And of course, we don't know the day or the hour when the Lord comes. He said that we wouldn't. There's, there's times and time frames that are wrapped around a lot of other things in Scripture. And if you really believe that He's coming is so soon, you also realize that the things you see in Scripture are unfolding all around you. There are people in kingdom and situations that are already present. Just waiting on the dominoes to fall for everything to happen. This whole world is, is primed for the church to be called out of here. Once we are, everything will fall into place just as he says to be. That's how close we are. Jesus looked at his people once and said, You can tell the weather. You can look at the sky and you know whether it's going to rain or storm. You don't know the hour you're living in. Church, we're living in the last of the last days. In just a little while, our Lord is coming. And I'm going to be ready to be. And if you have your Bibles and would like to go with me this morning, the word of the Lord in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. I'll mostly just be there this morning, so if you'd like to follow along in your Bible and just, just stay there, you'll be all right. Hebrews chapter 9, I'll just read two of the verses for you before you're seated. Verse 11 says, 
become a high priest of good things to come. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of physical, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once. Just one time. He entered in once into the holy place. <laughs> Having obtained eternal, never ending, never stopping, forever. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. He did it all by going in that house one time. One time. I'm going to preach to you for a little while this morning. Single use single use. Would you lift up your hands and voices and worship God, 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 you are such a good God. You are great and holy and righteous God and there is none like you. Lord, we praise you today. We give you all glory for it belongs to you. Lord, we ask you let your spirit stay with us. Lord, let your spirit move through us that souls might be saved, that lives might be changed, that we might have eternal redemption because of what you did for us. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated and take your standing for the word of the Lord. You probably heard this term somewhere in your lifetime, more likely in the last few years, probably before. Or the, the previous ones are not really odd words, but, but they've taken on their own meaning nowadays. Single use is, is somewhat of a, a modern term. It's not usually a good thing. It's not usually a compliment. But it is often used to refer to, to products and things that were made to be used only one time. Only one time. Things like plastic water bottles and plastic silverware, and things like toothpicks. Don't reuse them, Things like straws, whether they're paper straws or plastic straws, neither one of them are meant to be used over and over, even if every once in a while somebody does. Things like plastic trash bags, or, you know, Walmart bags, as we might call them, since we all have about 10,000 of them. I know you might use them for something else every once in a while, but they were designed to be used one time and then thrown away. Then all of the wrappers and all of the containers that, that almost everything we eat comes in uh, were generally made to be used just one time and thrown away. You might want them to refill the peanut butter at, at the grocery store, but they're not going to do it. You're just going to have to get another jar of it. You may want them to put bread back in the sack, but you're just going to have to go buy another one. Things like paper towels and, and hotel shampoo are meant to just be used one time and thrown away. I had a good friend growing up that tried his best to get me to reuse plastic sandwich bags, and I just absolutely refused to do it. Our world is filled with what's called single-use 
idols. Since the 1950s, here's just a few numbers for you, 8.3 billion metric tons of plastics have been produced, and a half of that in the past 15 years alone. I've said a couple times in the recent past, if we could size up the size of our carbon footprint, as you've heard the environmentalists describe it, my family has got one about the size of Bigfoot. Because plastics coming out of our house at an alarming rate. We produce not the causes, but the world. 300 billion tons of plastic <coughs> each year worldwide, half of which is for single use items. That's nearly equivalent to the weight of the entire human population in one year. In 2015, researchers from the University of Georgia, because that's where all smart people go, estimated that between 4.8 million and 12.7 million metric tons of plastic per year make their way into the oceans via people living within 30 miles of the coast. All because of things that were designed to be used one time and from the wet. Though there'd be an awful lot of dishes to wash after Mrs. Dinner if there weren't styrofoam plates. There'd be a lot of cups to wash and collect after your kid's birthday party if there weren't plastic solo cups. We, we live every day, all day long, on the benefit and the convenience of single-use items. But regardless of where, where you sit with your opinions of plastic or recycling or your carbon footprint or anything else, the bottom line is it certainly does seem kind of wasteful for anybody to make something that will be used just one time. You've all thought it before. You've all taken something that, that was used and it, it seems perfectly fine. It seems like it might have some other kind of purpose that you could put to it. But you don't know what you're going to do with it. It's been sitting around your house too long and so it just goes in the garbage can or the recycling bin. And you know deep down that it for humanity to do this, it's just wasteful for us to make something that we'll only use one time. Now let's get back to being spiritual. Because I didn't come here and convict you of recycling or not recycling. But the book of Hebrews chapter 9, and it's beginning in verse 1. It tells us been barely the first covenant. That's the one we read about in the First Testament. Also had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. It had to do with heavenly things, but it was executed using things of this world. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about the gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Which is a way of saying you're getting the short version. You're getting the Cliff's Notes version. Some of you don't know what Cliff's Notes are. Some of you probably shouldn't know what they were because, you know, it was kind of a half more, by the way, cheap. 
But that's what this is saying. You know, it's it's, it's the short version. We don't have time to really speak on the items of the tabernacle as of now. But it was briefly describing the, the tabernacle of the Old Testament as well as the, the temple that was still standing in the Lord's and in the Apostles' day. It describes both the tabernacle, the tent that Moses erected, as well as the temples that were built by Solomon and then later by Herod. The buildings, the tent or bearers or permanent structure, they were built for a spiritual purpose, but they were made out of earthly materials. Inside of them, there was an altar for sacrifice. There was a labor for washing and cleansing. There was a, a candlestick to give light. And there was a table with bread on it to eat. And there was an incense altar to offer up a sweet smell unto the Lord. And then there was the Ark of the Covenant, or the seat where the presence of God would come down and talk with the high priest. But, verse 6 says, now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. The word uses always to describe what they did. They always went to the house of God. Day after day, week after week. Month after month, and year after year, the tabernacle was used over and over and over again to do the service of God. And not just all the ordinary priests that went in there every day to do the business of God, but verse 7 says, but into the second with the high priest alone once every year, not without love, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. It might have been once a year, but it was every, every single year. The high priest, and only the high priest, would go into that last room known as the, the Holy of Holies. And, and after having brought a blood sacrifice to make sure that God would accept it, he would hear from God whatever it was that God wanted to speak to him and to his people. And he would seek for atonement to for the sins of the whole nation once a year. Every year, year in and year out, the tabernacle would be used for the service of God and for the rolling back of the sins of the people. But the scripture goes on to say, verse 8, the Holy Ghost, the, this signifies that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him in the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of revelation. Have you ever done anything before in life that you felt like it was just temporary? You know, you took that job not because you wanted it and not because you thought it was going to be your career, but you took it because you needed a job. 
But surely you thought, I really won't be there that long. It'll just be temporary until I, I get where I want to go. About 21 years ago, I went to work with Georgia Farm Bureau thinking in six months or less, I'll be working somewhere else. And I'm still there. Maybe you bought that car, not because it's the car you wanted and not the car you dreamed of as you were sitting in high school not paying attention to the teacher. You bought that car because you needed a car. You had to have a way to get to work. You know, you bought that house not because you thought it's the house that you're going to live in for the rest of your life, not your forever home as you've heard some people describe it, but it was just the starter home. Some folks still living in their starter home. Nothing wrong with that, but chances are somewhere along the way, the first one you bought, not the one you thought you'd retire in. You thought you'd go on to something else. You thought you'd get that job just to get some experience. You know, you'll drive that old clunker just long enough for you to save up money to buy the nice truck that you're really doing. Now think about Israel. Think about God's people. I know some folks might not think of it in this way, but but those that are, that are highly spiritual, you have to think that they were wondering, is something else better ever going to come? I mean, obviously it took place in Scripture. Jacob wrestled with an angel all night and was blessed by the very hand of God, and yet Jacob still wanted to know what his name was. Moses saw all the plagues of Egypt and watched God deliver his people with a strong hand and stood up on the mountain as the cloud of God's glory came down and he, and he was given tables of stone written by the finger of God of what he would have from his people. And yet Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. Elisha went everywhere Elijah went and saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And then Elisha said, when Elijah asked him, what do you want God to do for you? He said, I want twice as much as you, God. <laughs> David saw every one of the enemies of God's people fall down before his armies and the land be at rest and the land be at peace. And yet David said, God, I want to build you a house. God's always leading his people to an understanding that no matter where you're at right now, no matter how many blessings he's poured out, no matter how much he's done in your life, he's not done yet. He's not finished yet. There's something else coming. You never start serving God. You get to this place where you begin to realize that after every miracle and after every blessing and after every good thing, you're still left wondering, what will God do next? What can God do next? I didn't think he was going to heal me of cancer, but he did. What's he going to do the next time? What does all this have to do with the temple? It was used every day, every week, every year, for centuries. Think about that building. The original tabernacle, I think these are estimations, they don't look for certain, but they're fairly close. The original tabernacle of Moses was built around 1450 B.C. And then Solomon's temple was built a little over 500 years later in 957 B.C. And then Herod's temple was built in about 586 B.C. And it stood until Rome destroyed it in 70 A.D. For so, around approximately 
1,500 years. Day after day. Week after week. I know there were some captivities in there. I know there were some breaks in the chronology. But on the average, for about 1,500 years, somebody was put sacrifice on an altar. Somebody was washing their hands and feet. Somebody was eating bread off the table and showbread. Somebody was burning incense and keeping the candle lit. And somebody was going into the presence of God. But then, it happened. All of those years and all of those generations of expectation as to what is God going to do next. God delivered us from Egypt with a mighty hand. We celebrated at Passover every year. But what is God going to do to deliver us from Greece? What is God going to do to deliver us from Rome? What is God going to do the next time? Verse 11 says, But Christ be become a high priest of good things to come. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered. Once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. All the way back to David, through his son Solomon, even at the hands of the wicked king named Herod, and then even all the way backwards to back to Moses. God allowed the tent and God allowed the house to be built. He allowed a place to be made for him to put his name there. And he allowed it to remain standing in some form for nearly 1,500 years. And then when he shows up, when God shows up in the flesh, Oh, I know he visited it. I know he strolled about the courts. I know that he even went inside the gate and overturned the money changers' tables and cast out those and sold doves. I know he hung out around the temple. You've got to remember something. The seat all, all deep down in the inside of that building was his seat. The chair, if we could call it in that way, that was buried beneath multiple layers and barriers to keep everybody else out. The chair that was in the back room of that building was his chair. It was his earthly throne. It was the place where he said, my spirit will come down and speak and dwell with my people. It's his house. It's his building. And yet when he comes down to this earth and finally gets around to go inside, he does it for the first time. And for the last time. That's right. Thousands, 
if not millions of animal sacrifices over the course of 1,500 years. I wonder how many pounds of incense were burned on the altar. I wonder how many gallons of water were toted from the streams to put into the labor. I wonder how many buckets of ashes had to be carried outside the camp. And I wonder how many lives were lost along the way just to fight for their territory to keep the building standing. All of the money, the time, and resources that went into all three of those buildings. And yet when he comes, when he comes to visit the one that was still there, when he walked on this earth, he only visits once. That'd be about like you and I spending two years and a million dollars to build a house. And strolling through it and looking at it and saying, looks good. And never walking back in the door of it again. So it might make you ask the question, why? It's his house. It's the house where his name is. It's the house that was created for no other purpose but to have a right relationship with him. It was made for no other reason but to give honor and glory to the God of gods and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So why go one Verse 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, that's all it did. All that it did was purify the flesh. All it did was make them be in a condition that they could come before God at a distance. All that it did was stave off the wrath of God, but it never took away the intentional sins that a man would commit. It never made his conscience oriented back towards God. It never made him clean. But verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Almost 1,500 years of use for the building and for the furniture just to send a message. Just to make sure that we got the message that this isn't good enough. This system, these sacrifices, these offerings, they're not going to save your soul. They're not going to change your heart. They're not going to make your conscience right. Why is that so important? Because us humans have this inclination to do things our way. We can handle it. We can figure it out. Oh, I know we've messed up 15,000 times, but we're going to get it right the next time. 
we're going to get it straight the next time. I know I've not been able to put down the bottle, but I'm putting it down next week. I know I've not been able to break the addiction, but I'm going to break it next week. I know my heart's been wrong for a long, long time, but I'm going to get it right next week, and everything is going to be the way that it ought to be. There's some folks in this house that have already come to the conclusion today that that day's never coming. That day's never going to happen because we can't handle it. We can't figure it out. We're not going to get it right the next time. And God wanted to make sure that men understood that this system, that the most important building on earth, to teach the most important lesson on earth, was simply so that we would know this, that we desperately need a Savior. We need somebody that will pay the price for our sins. Verse 23 says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. The things that were down here on the earth. The instruments and the furniture and the mechanisms of the house of God that's here. It was necessary that the things that were just copies of what's in heaven, that were just symbolic of what's in heaven, that those things would be purified in this way. But the heavenly things were going to take some better sacrifice than that. You were never getting through gates of pearl with a building that stood in the Middle East. You were never going to offer a lamb clean enough. You were never going to pay enough offering to the sanctuary. You were never going to be able, even if you were the high priest and you could stroll into his presence, you were never going to be able to cross the line from here to glory. But what that house could offer Verse 24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. What Jesus came down here to do was not just to stand in line. It goes through the ordinances of the temple. You see, Jesus wasn't even born of the right family. Why didn't he ever stroll up in there, sit on his chair? Why didn't he ever roll up inside that house and take a bite out of that bread that was made up? Now to appear in the presence of God for us. 
nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of All this week. It means that he was only drawn by the one that was prophet and priest and king. He that was the bread that sat on the table. He that was the water that washes us and makes us clean. He that was the sacrifice, the lamb offered before the foundation of the world. He that was the light of the world. He that was the altar of incense, a sweet smelling savor unto God. He that was the one that made the cherubim that spread their wings across the top of the ark of the covenant. He was only going to walk through there one time. The house stood in some form for roughly 1,500 years. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. Jesus hangs on a shameful cross. The Bible says Jesus cried with a loud voice. Andrew, you need to pay attention. Press it. He gave up the ghost. This is going to push itself in the mind. I wouldn't be able to preach this message today if the scripture didn't add another verse behind Because when Jesus gave up the ghost, in his life as a man like you and I, something else happened. When our Lord was no longer bound by the rules of humanity that were put upon his flesh, the Bible says in verse 38, yeah. and the veil of the temple was writ in twain from the top to the bottom. <clears throat> what did Jesus do? Jesus walked through the corridors of the temple one time. And in one visit, he rendered the temple obsolete. Oh, sure, they, they keep offering sacrifices on that altar for about 35 or 40 more years before it was burned to the ground. But the sacrifices would mean absolutely nothing. The price had already been paid, and the door had already been swung open. Now all it would ever take for Jew and Gentile alike was to have faith in a man and a God named 
on the inside and on the out. No more would you have to be concerned as to whether you draw your last breath before the temple doors open again. Jesus threw away the building. Jesus flung open the door so that you and I didn't have to be content with a temple down here, but so that you and I could walk into the very presence of God. Because before, the way into the holiness of all, the way into that building of the heavens that is eternal, that way has not been made It's not just a building that you build so that the Lord can spend it on. It's only the 
Oh, shit. 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 O